Hi everyone, I'm Gary Lewis and welcome to the Geo Podcast. And in this episode, I want to talk about why volcanoes have different shapes and what influences that. Now, any look at any science textbook that has anything to do about volcanoes will show you that volcanoes come in different shapes. And the two main shapes that are always pointed out are the stratiform volcanoes like Mount Fuji, Mount Pinatubo, Mount St. Helens, Mount Hood, Mount Rainier, etc. And the shield volcanoes like Mauna Loa, Mauna Kea and some of the volcanoes in Iceland. But really volcanoes come in a whole range of different shapes and instead of worrying about shapes, well, you should be worrying about the types of material that they're made from because in a way it is the types of material that governs their shapes. And just to add a layer of complexity, it also depends where the volcano has erupted. If it has erupted in air, so on land, their shapes are going to be different from volcanoes that erupt underwater, or in the case of in Iceland, under ice caps. But let's come back a few steps and talk about the chemistry of magma, because the biggest driving force in volcano shapes is that chemistry, the chemistry of the molten material that feeds the volcano. So I've covered basic silicate chemistry in another episode. But what I want to talk about here is the basic building blocks of all of the major rock forming minerals is the silica tetrahedron. Now that all sounds very technical, but it's basically a silicon atom surrounded by four oxygen atoms. And each one of those four oxygen atoms can bond with something else. So imagine it. It's like a building block, like a Lego block, that can link to four other building blocks. And all the major rock-forming minerals are made from this single basic unit. It's how that basic building block links to other basic building blocks that forms the range of our major rock-forming minerals that we call the silicates. The link between the building blocks could be just another building block or it could be other elements like iron, manganese, potassium, sodium, calcium, and so on. So if you take a bunch of rocks and you melt them to form magma deep in the Earth's crust, then all of those basic building blocks are split apart and they can move and interact. And eventually when the rock cools down again, those basic building blocks will all start linking back together. But sometimes, that molten material gets squeezed up through to the surface and a volcano forms because it's molten rock that meets the surface and we call that stuff lava. Now the way that lava acts depends on the amount of those silica building blocks that there are compared to the other elements in the molten mix. Lava that is relatively low in the building blocks compared to the other elements can flow really, really well. So it's really, really runny. We say that it is not very viscous. And an example of that is basaltic lavas. So basaltic lavas are very, very low in silica compared to the other elements, and they run 40, 45% silica compared to the other elements. On the other end of the spectrum, 
there are some lavas that are very, very rich in the silica building blocks and not many of those other elements. So the silicon building blocks all like to link together and they form it to be a really gluggy lava that hardly flows at all. It is very viscous. And an example of that type of lava is the rhyolite lavas. Then I should mention that in between the basalts at one end and the gluggy rhyolites at the other end is a whole range of chemistries of lavas. And way in the middle are those that we refer to as the andesite lavas. So they are not as runny as basalt and they're not as gluggy as rhyolite. So if we just stick with those three lava types, runny basalt at one end, gluggy rhyolite at the other end, and one in the middle that's andesite, then we can talk about how those things actually erupt and how that creates the different volcano shapes on land. So let's start with basalt. So when basalt erupts on land, it's runny. So it has a tendency to come out of the vent very easily, it releases any gases that are dissolved fairly close to the vent and the lava has a tendency to flow away and flow a long distance, could be 30, 40 or 50 kilometers away from the vent on some of the larger volcanoes. Because the lava is just flowing away, the shape of the volcano that you get is low and flat. And these are called shield volcanoes because if you took the shape of the volcano and you stood it up on its edge, it would have the shape of an old Roman shield. So very, very long with like a peak in the middle. The important thing to know here is the lava is runny and because it comes out of the vent easily and escapes, gases can escape from the system very easily. So we don't have much ash being formed. It is really almost a lava complete volcano, which is different from the next type we're going to talk about. Stratiform volcanoes, sometimes called composite volcanoes, are actually made up of layers of lava and layers of ash. And when we look at the chemistry of the layers of lava or even the volcanic ash, we find that the lava is much richer in those silicon building blocks. And most of these are andesites. So we get andesitic volcanoes forming these composite volcano shapes. So unlike the shield volcanoes where the lava bubbles up and flows over a long distance, these, the lava has a tendency to clog up the plumbing, meaning that the volcanic gases that are trying to escape blow the lava into little fragments that become ash. So instead of the lava just flowing, you get these large volcanic ash clouds form over the top of the volcano and the ash falls all around the volcano. So you get layers of ash building up and occasionally the lava will actually flow out of the vent and flow over the top of those ash layers. So you get layers of ash with some intermittent layers of lava, but the lavas are all sort of andesitic in composition. Remember here, it's about how gluggy the lava is that causes this to take place. So the composite volcano that is formed, or the stratiform is the other term, is a fairly steep-sided volcano. Most of the famous volcanic eruption photographs that you see in textbooks or on shows on TV are the eruption of these types of volcanoes. So andesitic volcanoes, 
The lava clogs things up, forms like a big pressure plug in the volcano, which blasts its top, lots of ash goes up into the air, and these are very photogenic. And in fact, one of the most famous volcanic eruptions that you will read about or see TV shows about was the eruption of Vesuvius, which is just outside of the city of Naples in Italy. It is a stratiform volcano, andesitic in composition, and it famously erupted in AD 79, burying the city of Pompeii. But others like Mount Pinatubo or Mount St. Helens in 1980 are other examples of these types of eruptions. So I've talked about basaltic volcanoes, low flat shields, and I've talked about andesitic volcanoes, which are like steep-sided composite or stratiform volcanoes. What happens if we get a truly rhyolite volcano forming? Now, rhyolite is really gluggy, and it has a tendency to block the pipes of volcanoes up so severely that the pressure that forms underneath it, instead of it forming just like an ash cloud that then forms nice slopes around a volcano, rhyolite volcanoes have a tendency to be far, far more explosive. And in the process, instead of forming a typical volcano shape that we all see and recognize textbooks and TV shows, they have a tendency just to blow a great hole in the ground. And this shape we call a caldera. The most famous of these would be the Yellowstone caldera over a hotspot in the continental USA. So they're the major volcano shapes based on just pure the chemistry of the lava that's involved. But there are other factors that get involved in the way volcanoes erupt that can adjust or change their shapes. And the biggest one is water. So let me first talk about basaltic volcanoes that erupt underwater, or in the case of Iceland, under an ice cap. Because the water cools the lava as it flows out, the lava can't flow for long distances, forming the classic shield volcano that they form on land. The water, seawater in most cases, quenches the lava, and the lava sort of forms these like pillow shapes like toothpaste being squeezed out of a tube as the water cools the lava when it comes in contact with it. And for this reason, basaltic volcanoes that are underwater tend to have much steeper sides than their counterparts on land. So a massive shield volcano like Mauna Loa on the Big Island of Hawaii, it formed most of its life underwater, forming a fairly steep-sided pile of basaltic pillow lavas until it broke through to the surface. Now it's through to the surface when it erupts lava, the lava flows for long distances and forms the classic shield shape because the water isn't cooling the lava down anymore. Now Mauna Loa is a classic shield volcano, but the important thing to know that while it is low and so-called flat, it is still just under 14,000 feet above sea level. It is a massive active basaltic volcano. But remember, most of it is actually underwater, far more steep-sided than it is when it's above land. The same is true of basaltic volcanoes that erupt in Iceland under ice sheets. These volcanoes the lava gets cooled by the water that melts from the ice. So when the volcano erupts under the ice sheet, it actually melts the ice to form this pool of water into which the lava forms. The lava obviously can't go very far, 
So you get a fairly steep-sided volcano forming from basaltic lavas. One of the major hazards in Iceland is that when these eruptions take place under the ice caps, the water that is melted will eventually make its way out and flow in catastrophic floods. So that's volcanoes underwater or ice. But you know, water can be involved in volcanoes on land and create explosions because the water turns into steam. These types of eruptions are called freomagmatic, water and magma together. The magma basically boils the water. Most of the time it's groundwater, creating a huge amount of steam that makes the volcano very explosive, normally blowing great chunks of rock and ash up into the air. And we have evidence of these types of eruptions even in Hawaii on shield volcanoes. So shield volcano, runny basaltic lava, normally just bubbles out, flows long distances. But if for some unknown reason, it comes in contact with lots of groundwater, we can get these freomagmatic eruptions. And there are very thick ash layers in Hawaii caused by that type of eruption. So the final type of volcano I wanna talk about, and it's mainly because it gets separated from the other volcanoes in lots of textbooks, are these small volcanic events that form a thing called a cinder cone. Now, cinder cones can be found in lots of places around the world. And in fact, they can be found in places where there's almost no other evidence of volcanoes. But on other places, like in Hawaii, some of the larger volcanoes are absolutely covered in these smaller little cinder cones. So what's a cinder cone? Cinder cones form in a very short period of time eruption, maybe days through weeks, where magma comes up near the surface that is very loaded with gases. So the magmatic gases get released, and because the gases are escaping, like if you shook up a soda bottle and then took the cap off, all of the lava that comes up gets filled with those gases and gets shot up into the air. The material cools in the air and drops as a volcanic scoria around the vent hole. And you get that accumulation of material that is cinder, which forms a cone. Now, the shape of the cone could be totally conical if not much wind is blowing when the eruption takes place. But most of the time, if the wind's blowing in one predominant area, then all the cinder gets blown onto one side. So you don't really get a cone shape but an accumulation mound on one side and the original vent is upwind from that. The important thing to know here is cinder cones are normally 50 to a couple of hundred meters tall and not much bigger than that. Compared to a stratiform volcano, that can be thousands of feet tall. Okay, so I've covered the basic volcano shapes and I've explained how those shapes have formed because of the difference in chemistry and the addition of water to the mix. Now this isn't the whole story with volcanoes by any means, but at least it will give you a bit of a sense of why we have different shapes and it's mostly due to the chemistry. So that's this episode done. But you know, if you ever want more information about volcanoes or plate tectonics or hazards or general geology, come check us out at geoetc.com. That's G-E-O-E-T-C.com. And why not think about coming and joining us on trips that we run 
almost every year to visit volcanoes around the world. We go to Hawaii, we go to Iceland, we go to Italy. So check us out at geoetc.com. But for now, keep on rocking.